Hey, 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 Lead With Heart fam. So it's been a minute and we are coming in with a bang. We are interviewing the amazing, the world-renowned, the ultimate phenomenal one, <laughs> Tom Ladegard. Um, I want to give you a quick backstory around how I found this guy. He was kind of like hanging around in my Facebook comments <laughs> on a post around trademarks. I was literally in the process of about to trademark a coaching name for a new group program that I was like, this is going to be it. This is going to be the thing. Found out somebody else had the name. And then he comes in and starts talking about trademarks and like giving so much valuable knowledge. Um, people started asking questions about trademarks on the post. So I was like, let's get him on the podcast. Let's answer everything around trademarks, get you everything you need to know, especially if you're a coach in this industry and you have a lot of questions around trademarks. This is going to be the podcast episode for you. Tom, just to give you some backstory on him, he is a business attorney in his 19th year of practice with an emphasis on trademark law. He's been a solo practitioner for five years. So this is the podcast you want to be listening to. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Glad to have you here. So one of my questions for you is, um, whenever I have clients like ask questions about uh, the legal side of their business, which first off, I tell them, I am not qualified to answer those questions. You need to talk to an attorney. Um, what are some of the things that you see in the industry that people get confused about the most? It's hard to know where to start. I mean, people, there's so many mis conceptions and misapprehensions about trademarks. Sometimes people use the word trademark interchangeably with copyright and patent, and they are all very different animals that protect different things and serve different purposes. So to, to start off, like what is a trademark? A trademark really effectively is your branding. It's how the, the consumers, the public associate uh, your name with your business classification. So it's how people know who you are and what you do. That's what a trademark is. And um, so other misconceptions, um, people seem to think that they could just, um, if they get a trademark, that they own it for all intents and purposes, and you don't. When you get a trademark, you have to have a specific classification for which you use it. And uh, it doesn't apply across the board. So if one person is making cell phone cases, another person is making energy drinks, your classifications are so different. You can have the exact same name, but you can coexist and each of you can have a registered mark. And I know that um, people bring up in terms of like international trademarks and US-based trademarks. So does that also apply as well, where you could have somebody have one name in the US and somebody else have another name <laughs> in a different country? Um, but you'd be both be in the same industry. Say like if there's a coach that's US-based and there's a coach that's UK-based, how does that work? Great question. And I just wanted to say, I'm handing you the keys to my brain. So I'm just going to yeah. go in there and walk around a little bit and uh, I'll just dump out everything in my brain relating to trademarks. So that, that's an interesting question. It's a good question. So if you get a trademark registration here in the US, it's federal, it applies nationwide. So from all 50 states and the territories, your trademark is valid in, and enforceable in the U.S. Now, let's say you're in the U.S. and you want to have your trademark apply internationally. 
That seems to be what you're asking. The answer is there is a method for that, but just by having a U.S. registration alone does not make it unenforceable outside the U.S. So it's a creature of federal law um, and is not enforceable in other countries. However, there is a mechanism to make it enforceable in other countries. The general rule is you, if you want to have it applied in another country, you got to go to that country and apply to have your trademark applied, enforced there. Mm. There is an international treaty uh, system called the Madrid Protocol, mm-hmm. where signatories to that treaty, and there's something like, there's a lot of countries in there. Um, you just apply, you, you, uh, you submit your, your US-based registration. You can even do it while it's still in the application phase. Um, the filing fees are in flux because it's under Swiss francs, which, so mm. it's always changing. Um, but you can just check the boxes of the other countries you want to have your trademark appliance. So I did one last year for a client who makes dental goods, and I checked the EU, the UK, and Russia. Mm-hmm. UK was separate from EU, so that, that's a separate box. But the great thing about the EU is for one filing fee, you get all the countries that are members of the EU. Then we did a separate one from Russia. Now, what they do is they then run their own conflict checks from your client's mark in those countries. So we got approved in the EU and the UK. There were no conflicts there, but we got denied in Russia. Russia found some kind of a conflict. Mm. So uh, each country could have a different result. That's interesting because I know, especially as it pertains to the coaching industry, because a lot of my clients are in the coaching industry, they're there's kind of been like this huge swing, <laughs> like especially on Facebook with a lot of conversations around um, program names. So for example, somebody would be, there's so, the, the running joke is there's so many inner circles, right? Especially if you, you're like, oh, my mastermind's going to be called inner circle. And everybody's like, uh, you and everybody else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so when somebody is coming up with a name for their offer, like what are some of the things you would suggest to them to do it the legal way? Well, the first thing I would suggest is that you pick a name that's distinctive. And this applies just for trademarks in general. It has to be distinctive. It can't be generic. It can't be descriptive. So if you're a coach, the word coach or coaching, you can never get exclusive rights to that word. It's a it's a descriptive word and it's a generic word. What so you happened got the, with entrepreneur, how they were able to get the trademark for the word entrepreneur. How were they able to get that? Oh, I can't speak. I don't know who they are. I can't really speak to that. I don't know. Depends on the context in which it's used. Mm-hmm. But I would think probably if, if you gave me an example of someone where the word entrepreneur is in their mark, and I were to go look it up, and if they serve entrepreneurs, they probably had to disclaim exclusive rights to that word. Mm. So while it might be part of the registered mark, it's not an enforceable part of the mark. So if someone's going to get a name through with the word entrepreneur in it, and you're a business coach, you, I guarantee that person had to disclaim that word. And there's some other uh, distinctive elements to that trademark that's actually enforceable. But the word entrepreneur itself, you can never trademark that word itself. That's what it, that's what a disclaimer is. Now, so, so how to pick a word or how to pick a, a, a a name for like a module or a service that you want to have. Uh, I deal with this all the time. So first of all, first of all, pick a name that's distinctive, something that stands out. The strongest marks are the ones that involve arbitrary non-words. 
So if you kind of make up a word or you take an existing word and you change it, so it's not something that technically is a word, those are the strongest trademarks. Those are the ones that are you're most likely going to get approved. Most likely there's not going to be a conflict and the easiest to defend in court. Um, or you could have something that is technically a word, but it's not doesn't make any sense in the context of what you do. For example, Amazon, that's that's a word, but the, the actual word, you know, the forest it signifies has nothing to do with their service. So ah, that makes it a strong mark as well. Another example I use would be like Target or um, Cherokee for the apparel. You know, it, so it's an existing word, but it has nothing to do with your actual business classification. That makes it distinctive and that, that makes it stand out. So number one, you find a distinctive name. Number two, you want to check for conflicts. So don't just go out and announce to the world, I'm doing this. You want to uh, see if it's available. So the first thing I'd say is just do a general web search, hop on social media, hop on Google and see, and use quotation marks and just see if somebody else is out there using it. And then use quotation marks for your precise uh, mark, but then remove the quotation marks and just see if there's similar variations. Mm. And just because someone's not using your precise word or phrase, but if it's really close to you, that can be deemed a conflict as well. And then lastly, I'd say go look in the trademark electronic search system known as TESS. That's the official trademark database. I know you're familiar with this. You've done it yourself. That's where you look to see if there are actual registrations. And I could talk about how to research and analyze the results. I just want to take a breath and give you a chance to jump in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it. Um, Because I think what's happening in this industry as well is, you know, a lot of people are very comfortable with, okay, I come up with a name, let me get a domain for this name, right? Like, that's like, in their mind, like, kind of step one. But what you're saying, and what's so powerful is, that's great. But before we even start jumping into domains, before we even start, like, creating, like, the sales page, or the order form, or any of those things, what you're saying is take a moment to do that Google search, make sure it has quotations around it, and then check the directory to see if there's any filed trademark. So what are the things that you have noticed when it comes to that, um, that people might like miss or um, in that process that they might get wrong? Well, too many people miss the step of even just checking the availability of the name. They, they will get some creative inspiration. They'll think of a name and then they go blast that on social media and then they launch. And I think that's the biggest mistake people make is you need to step back and do some planning or you run off and you buy a domain. Mm-hmm. Great. You got the domain, but the name's taken by a competitor already. They have a registered mark. You just wasted your money on a domain. So before you spend any money, go and make sure it's available. I mean, that's that's the, the biggest mistake I see people make is that. Another mistake people make is they think, well, it's okay, I'll put an exc-. so they find a conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, it's okay, I'll put a comma. I'll put an exclamation point. I'll put the. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll do something. They'll make some nominal change to it, and that's not going to matter. It's still confusingly similar. And it doesn't matter if you have a comma or some punctuation or you have a different letter you might spell it different if it's phonetically the same as somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's still a conflict. Wow. Wow. That's super powerful. So I guess like another layer, if we were to dive into this even deeper. So say like um somebody's listening to this podcast after the fact, they're like, 
I just went with the name. I bought the domain. And now I have somebody reaching out to me with like a cease and desist letter. What do they do? Okay. Well, that right there is the worst case scenario. And that's what I'm hoping your listeners can avoid. I've encountered this scenario countless times. You know, you you go and buy a URL, you build a website, you have a social media page, you invest all this branding and marketing money, you're running ads. That's how everybody knows you. You're doing workshops, et cetera. Um, it's all over your website. And then you get hit with a cease and desist. Um, that, that's the worst case scenario for, for anybody in business, not just coaching, but anybody in business. And so uh, if you get hit with a cease and desist, the first thing you want to do, I, I'd suggest is just go and look this person up and make sure, are they actually using that mark in that context? Uh, it could be not every cease and desist is well taken. Sometimes people might get a little aggressive in protecting their turf. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, trademarks are not uh, self-enforcing. The USPTO doesn't enforce them. You, the owner has to enforce them. But oh. Sometimes people might get a little aggressive mm-hmm. in enforcing their marks. The, the bigger the company, the more aggressive they get in trying to keep out everybody. I've had to fight a couple Goliaths on, on this issue. So just because there's a cease and desist doesn't mean you need to stop. All it is is a letter. It's a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It might be written by a lawyer. It's more scary if it's written by a lawyer, but sometimes just the owners themselves might write one. And so if there's a cease and desist by an owner um, that shows that they're not yet engaging with legal counsel, uh, which might make it a little less scary. Whereas if there's one on an attorney letterhead that shows, okay, they've lawyered up, they paid a lawyer to write this letter, they're a little more serious. Um, but I'd say take it with a grain of salt. The world's not ending just yet. Take it to a lawyer. So if someone comes to me with a cease and desist, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to analyze two things. The, the uh, similarity of the marks and the similarity of the classifications, uh, three things. And then I'm going to go to test and I'm going to look it up. Does this person actually have a registration? So if this person doesn't have a registration, they can't enforce their trademark in federal court. So it's kind of like a, a, an attack dog with no teeth. Now, mm-hmm. if they have a pending registration, that's something I might have some pause with. But if they don't even have a federal registration, um, they don't have the means of actually enforcing this thing in federal court. There might be some state court remedies, but uh, I'd take them a lot less seriously if they don't have that registration. So I'd look to see like, okay, now how similar are the names? Some people might get a little aggressive and uh, going outside their lane. And I might say, you know what? Our names are sufficiently different. We can coexist. No one's going to be confused. Mm. Uh, so go kick rocks. Or I might say, you know what? Our classes are, are sufficiently different. You're in this space. My client's in this space. Um, and sometimes I, I've had uh, conflict uh, negotiations going on where the parties just agree to coexist. Mm. I've got a client where he's got a mark that was in publication. Um, the application was pending and it was in publication and a third party came in. This guy was a health coach. My client's a business coach. The names were identical. The PTO was letting my clients mark through, but the health coach was threatening to object to the business coach's application. So we just worked it out with them that we wrote up a document saying that my client agrees to never go in the health coaching space. And then we went and amended his trademark uh, classification to disclaim health coaching. So the other person was satisfied and happy. They agreed to not oppose our our application. No money changed hands. Each side agreed to stay in their lanes. So there's no reason why people can't be reasonable 
and just work it out and agree to coexist. That's something that people can absolutely do. Awesome. That's super powerful. And, and what was so interesting too about it as well is there's another layer where we have like, um, if you do find it in Google, or if you do find somebody who has that name, but they're in a different industry or a different niche than you, there is that potential to um, create space where both of you guys can be online. Both of you can like market to your prospective clients and to your prospective audiences. And um, what's interesting, and I'm going to bring it kind of back to like that Facebook post, the original Facebook post is say like if you had um, this idea for a name and then you saw somebody else with that name, but they didn't have a trademark, something that you had posted on that comment was um, if you were to try and like grab that trademark underneath them, that other person can still say like, hey, I've been using this for a while. I've been using this name for a while. What does that process kind of look like? Sure. That's, that's an excellent question. And that's how you and I became acquainted and first started talking. Mm-hmm. So if you're researching and you're interested in a name, you see someone else is using it, but they haven't yet registered it. First of all, I'd say shame on them. They should lock it down and protect it. Um, but if when the USPTO is researching conflicts, they're not just looking for what's registered. They're looking for who's the first one to use that, that, that trademark in commerce within that classification. I've had a trademark denied for one of my clients because the PTO found somebody using a similar mark online and they weren't even registered. Mm. So to get a registered trademark, you have to be the first one using it in commerce, not necessarily the first one to register. So if someone's out there and they're there, you can find them online, assume the PTO is going to find them online. So you really can't get in and snatch out a trademark from underneath somebody. Uh, as long as they're, if they're really in some obscure corner of the internet and nobody really knows who they are and they're going to evade a PTO search, um, I mean, that could potentially happen. You could potentially snatch it out from somebody. Um, but in general, uh, you can't uh, get it if somebody else is using it, even if they're not registered. What about people who started a brand and then dropped the brand? So they haven't been using it for like three, four years. It's like a dead Instagram account that hasn't been updated in like five years. Um, What about in that case? The PTO may or may not find that. They may or may not deem it a conflict. If they do deem it a conflict, I'd say you fight it and you oppose it saying, this is an abandoned mark that hasn't been used in this much time. Maybe find some case law citations. I'm not sure what the exact timeframe is for it to be deemed abandoned. So I won't say what the the number is or if there is a magic number, but yeah, I'd fight that. I'd say this is an abandoned mark and it's an unregistered mark and an abandoned market that should not be deemed a conflict. Mm -hmm. Uh, If somehow you can get in touch with the owner, I mean, maybe if you can go to the URL and see if like it's, it's no longer there or they haven't posted in a long time, take some screenshots, submit that as evidence to go along with your, your opposition to the denial, which is called an office action. Um, I'd say build it up with some evidence if you can. Or if you can somehow get in touch with the prior owner and get them to sign something saying, I'm not using this there, you're free to go. That's another way to go. I mean, other trademark owners are human beings. Like you can reach mm-hmm. out to them and there's no harm in asking. True, true. Very true. So um, we're coming to a close pretty soon, but 
what I wanted to ask you before we finish up is, is there anything, and this is a question I ask all my guests, <laughs> is there anything um, that's on your heart that you feel really called to share with this audience? Like the one most powerful like message you want to share around this topic? I want people to know how important it is to trademark your brands and that it's, it's an opportunity to employ your creativity. I was on the line a, a couple of days ago with somebody whose name was, uh, it was just generic. I just didn't think it would get approved and I didn't feel ethically right taking her money. And I told her, I'm, I'm not going to take this job because I just think it's going to be denied. And then you're going to be mad at me. And so, but I, but I didn't leave her in that place. What I said was, okay, but find other ways to plant your flag in the ground. And so you could trademark other elements besides your business name itself. Make up a slogan for your, make up a slogan. Give yourself a nickname. Um, you can also trademark individual products or services. It does not just have to be your business name. It could be a module. It could be a method. I stand out for others because I employ this method and I call it this. There's all sorts of things you can employ in your branding that you can trademark, even if your, uh, your name itself isn't trademarkable. But it's, I just want people to understand the power of having nationwide exclusivity for your branding within your class. It really positions you uh, in, in a place of strength. And also having that circle R just makes you look more legitimate and established. And I think people respect you and your brand more as well. So I just, I just want people to be educated on this. I want them to know what trademark is. Um, I was my first trademark client. I got one in 2017 for a videography business I used to run. And I just decided to lock it down. I didn't know what I was doing. I did my own application. I screwed it up. I walked oh, in. I got it through. I got it approved. Uh, I just got, had some bumps and bruises along the way, but it was educational for me. But I remember how it felt when that piece of paper arrived in the mail, how good it felt to know, like, wow, I actually own this brand. Nobody else can use this brand. This is mine across the whole country. And that felt good. You know, it felt empowering. And then so when I would go forward in my marketing and my promotions, I had confidence that this is my name and nobody else can take it from me. And so that just felt really good. And I, I want other people to have that experience as well. Another thing I've noticed is that um, I, have a, I have a slogan that I trademarked called uh, trademarks are like tattoos. Once you get one, you want another. Yeah. And so I found that with a lot of my <laughs> clients, they keep coming back. Some of my favorite clients um, have done eight plus trademarks for certain people. And they, they keep coming back and going, hey, Tom, these are the ideas we want to want to run with. And I'll tell them, uh, this one's a no-go, but these other ones look good. And they keep getting them. I've got one person who's got eight pending before the USPTO right now. Wow. Yeah. So once you get one, you're probably going to want more. Yep. Like a tattoo. See? See, good, good advice. My, my uncle's a tattoo artist. So I was like, oh, I get that analogy. <laughs> um, so very, very, very good wisdom shared on this podcast episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to like speak with us and to like share all your wisdom on trademarks and your lived experience and your clients' experiences. Um, so just thank you so much for joining. How can um, this podcast audience stay connected with you? Well, I, I, I'm on Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook. I'm not super active on other social media platforms. Uh, my website, Latigard Law, is where people can find me. Um, I could talk about this for two hours. I can get up on stage and do a two-hour in-depth workshop. We just scratched the surface. Mm -hmm. There's so much more I can talk about. But what I want people to know is 
Um, I don't charge for doing uh, searches. I figured that's part of my initial consultation and I don't want to take someone's money just to turn around and tell them, sorry, your name sucks or there's a conflict. Um, that's part of my consultation. So if somebody wants to uh, have me analyze the viability of their mark or look for potential conflicts, that's part of my consult. I don't charge. I'll run it through the database and I'll tell you what I think. I will also tell you what you don't want to hear. But I don't charge for that process. Awesome. Good, good, good stuff. So, ah, oh, thank you. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much for um, all the wisdom that you've been sharing. And if you guys are like vibing with Tom, go to his website. We're going to link it up in the show notes. And if you really love this episode, feel free to share it with your friends and family, share it all over the internet, make it go viral. That's always a good thing. We appreciate that. <laughs> and write a five-star review for the podcast. Um, we're going to be uh, interviewing even more amazing guests like today. Um, as always, thank you so much and send you all lots and lots of love.